0: You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Hey, I want y'all to look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you know what? You ain't no better than me. You may think you're better than me, but you ain't no better than me. (laughs) oh my god peggy's sitting next to laverne wolf who is a saint of the lord and she's like i just can't say it i just can't say it (laughs) hey listen we take comfort this morning in this ground is level at the foot of the cross you come into church you know and people put on their heirs but there are no heirs at piperton all right it's all level ground we all need jesus and so we're going to study about him today. So I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. This is part two of our uh, message on lion-hearted parenting. And I want to tell you a story while you turn there of a woman named Henrietta Green Robinson. She was born in 1834 in Massachusetts. We have a picture of her up here. Uh, just right there. Doesn't she look wonderful? All right. They called her Hetty, right? And she came to inherit great sums of money. Now, Hetty lived with her grandfather, who was a big, I believe, a big whale, whale ship, whaling ship tycoon back in the day. And so he had a lot of money and she began to work. Uh, she lived with him for a while when she was a little kid. Matter of fact, she became pretty business savvy herself. She was doing her grandfather's books when she was 13 years old, different generation, all right? But much of the money that she had was actually graciously passed down to her. When her mother passed away in 1860, she was awarded a house worth $250,000 in today's money, not bad. Then uh, I aunt Sylvia, uh, gave Hetty over $600,000 in stocks in today's money as a gift and that's before Sylvia died She just gave it to her not not bad <laughs> Hetty went on to marry uh, Edward Robinson and had two kids but when her husband died in 1865 He left her about six million dollars and that's not in today's money That's in 1865 money worth about hundred and six million dollars Today buy you two sheets of plywood at home depot <laughs> Not long after that, her, her aunt Sylvia also died and willed uh, half of her estate to Hetty, about $18 million in today's money. The other 18 million was to be donated to charities and such, but Hetty challenged the will, produced an earlier will, won, and ended up getting another $13 million from that. I don't know if you are doing any math, but she's at $138 million and that's not invested right? So she's doing pretty, she's doing pretty well, all right? But remember, she was pretty savvy too. So much so, you can see as this picture depicts, she became known as the witch of Wall Street. She was actually the richest woman in America, right? They even have books about her. Let's click to this next one. See if there's, is there a book up there? There it is, the richest woman in America, right? Pretty cool example of of modern America, huh? But she had one problem. She was fearful of losing all that money, <laughs> and which probably earned her that that witch of Wall Street name. And so, and she took cheapskate to a whole new level. The Guinness Book of World Records actually named her the greatest miser in America. Right. Matter of fact, when she died in July thir- 3rd, 1916, she was worth around $5 billion in today's money. She was called the Wizard of Finance, the richest woman in America. Arguably, at the time, the richest woman in the world. But she was fearful of losing her money. So much so, listen to this. She would eat cold oatmeal because she didn't want to spend money to heat the oatmeal. Her son had a severe leg injury. And she took so long trying to find a free clinic for him that his leg had to be amputated because of advanced infection. As she grew old and ill, she even refused her own needed surgeries, uh, hernia operations and the like. Why did she do this? Because she was fearful of losing her wealth. So much so she couldn't even enjoy it. Hey, parents, church, fear destroys Our parenting process. All right? Fear tears down our confidence in God's word. Fear allows Satan to put his foot in the door of our families. Fear can paralyze a parent so much so that they don't even enjoy what they're doing. Worldly fear is produced in mass by our enemies. But a lion hearted believer, a fearless Parent leaves the devil no seat at the table. When followers of Christ are convinced that God's word works in any time, in any place, in any situation, then our parental faith in God's promises cannot be contaminated. One author said it this way fear comes from a sense of powerlessness over the future. Fear is contaminated faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you operate by fear, you expect negative things to happen, and of course, they eventually do. But when you live in faith, you expect and hope for the best. Fear opposes the Word of God, but faith is rooted in it. Researchers say that an average person's anxiety or fear is focused on the following things. 40% on things that will never happen. 30% on things of the past that can't be changed. 12% about criticism by others, mostly untrue. 10% about health, which gets worse when you worry and fret and stress. Only 8% about real problems that will be faced. Church, listen, it takes the heart of a lion to be a godly parent, to be a fearless parent. So let's read this passage again in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, the story of a parent in panic. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she'll be made alive well and live and he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, meaning Jesus. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus Perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, not like he has a holy garment and, you know, his garments are holy, you touch them and you're made well. But like this woman's faith, he, he felt that immediately, turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say who touched me? Like everybody's touching you. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them out all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, Arise, And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. I wanna ask Jim Blanchard to come and ask God's blessings on the message today. And I just wanna say thank you to all those who helped yesterday. We kinda helped with an outdoor kinda one day VBS event at a church in Fraser that we're helping plant called Risen Savior Ministries with Pastor Doug Williams. And I know many of the Choates were there and uh, Tony Castro and uh, the uh, Kiroses, my neighbors came, Susan and Hector. And so uh, just so many people, my own family, and it was a blessing for us all to serve together. And uh, so thank you, Jim, for being part of that too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come to you this morning with Father, truly thankful hearts that you provide a place for us together to worship, to call upon you. Father, I pray and ask right now your anointing up on Brother Wynn. I pray, dear God, Holy Spirit, that you will use him to preach your word in such a way that it will pierce our hearts. It'll bring us to a place of conviction. Father, we desperately need revival. I pray, dear God, that you will fall upon us today. Touch our hearts. Speak to us. Bring us into a closer, more intimate relationship with you. Forgive us where we fail you. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Thank you, Jim. All right parenting is it's a spooky thing right we said last week you know if you spend too much time thinking about it you'll scare yourself to death so by way of review from last week because this is part two uh, we have a lot to learn from the biblical example of Jairus first we have to brave the distractions with steely resolved and there were three distractions we talked about last week first was the impossibility of the situation right I mean there's no way that God could possibly heal uh, my child and he braved past those thoughts and went on to pursue Christ. And uh, we talked last week, you know, we don't always, we talk about believing. We draw coloring, we have coloring books of, of Jonah in the well and miracles and VBS. We talk about it with, in crafts, but we don't always believe it. Jairus believed to the point of believing even after his, his daughter's death. Because Jesus does the impossible every day. The second distraction Jairus cast off was pride and position. You know how when it talks about Rahab the prostitute in Scripture, it always calls her, most of the time, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the prostitute. Well, here it just over and over says, the synagogue ruler, the synagogue ruler. He's got a name, Jairus, but it wants us to know he's the synagogue ruler, the synagogue ruler. Because he could have easily been prideful of his position and and, uh, of that day, but he wasn't. He cast that pride and position off. By the way, one of the greatest deterrents of your own salvation is pride, not admitting that you're a sinner. That's what baptism is such a great confession of and a picture of. A third distraction he cast off was legalistic tradition. Remember, the woman was unclean and Jairus was part of the temple. So, I mean, for him to be near her or even touch her could render him unclean. But he cast all those restraints off. Lion hearted parents brave the distractions of this world with steely resolve, undeterred by earthly barriers. But secondly, and this is our new stuff for today, we have to bow to the lion to have the heart of one. The kingdom of God is, is really upside down. Right? Small things are made great. Great things are made small. Luke chapter 13, verse 18 says, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Small thing made great. Great. Matthew 18 verse 1 says the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said in verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Small things made great, great things made small. Jairus understood this and his example teaches us two important truths about lion-hearted parenting. First, we must fall at his feet. What a great song. Sometimes, Hunter, I don't know how, it's like he's reading my mind when he picks some of these songs out about bowing down. Mark 5, 22, Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. As a matter of fact, when Jesus gets interrupted by the woman with the flow of blood, uh, Jesus looked around to see who had done it, had touched him, and the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Church, listen carefully to the example of both Jairus and the woman with the flow of blood who was healed. Faith bows to Jesus. You know, I I see license plates and things in people's rear view windows all the time. Don't tread on me. What if Jesus had said that? (laughs) I'm not not knocking your, your bumper sticker or whatever. We have this idea sometimes that, you know, not me. I'm not, I don't bow to anybody. Church, you have to bow in faith to receive salvation. You have to bow down before him. Jairus bows before the miracle took place. The woman with the flow of blood bowed after the miracle took place, but they both ended up bowing down, didn't they? Church, we are not safe unless we are submissive. We must bow in order to stand (laughs) before the throne of God. You can't receive the courage to be lion-hearted parents until you bow before the lion and the lamb. I love what one study says. God's refusal to go personally with Israel to the promised land stemmed from their persistent grumbling and their quickly turning from Him to worship the golden calf. Even though in response to Moses' prayer, God relented, meaning God was about to destroy all of Israel and start over, But God, Moses stood in the gap for them and prayed and God agreed to go with Israel. He, even though he did that, he eventually did destroy many because of their sins. Remember there were 12 spies sent into the land of Canaan. My son was asking me a question about that this morning. 10 of them had a negative report. Two of them had a positive report. The 10 spies who brought back a negative report on the land died in a plague in Numbers 14, verse 36. Those involved in Korah's rebellion died when the earth swallowed them alive in Numbers 16, verse 31. Later, when the people again grumbled, God sent fiery serpents among them so that many died in Numbers 21, verse 5. Still later, when Israel joined themselves to Moab in idolatry and immorality, God killed 24,000. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. Eventually, the entire generation that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. The, the adults of that generation, people I believe 20 or 21 and under didn't. Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. Philip Reichen said, of course, when God kills people because of their sins, it's not that he has an anger problem. His wrath is his settled opposition to all sin. That's why true repentance involves mourning over your sins. Now, I know Jairus wasn't coming to, to Jesus just to bow down for confession. He had a request for the healing of his daughter. But he understood how to position himself when he stood face-to-face before Jesus. There's a great song. It's called His Name is Wonderful. Some of y'all may remember this song. His name is wonderful, right? His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful, Jesus my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him. Love and adore him. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. In Exodus 33, verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I'll I'll make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face For man shall not see me and live. Why is that? Because the Bible talks about seeing God face to face one day. So how is that possible? Well, through the blood of Jesus, I'm made righteous. But why on this earth would he say, for man shall not see me and live? Because Jesus, our Savior, put on humanity and made it possible for mankind to see him. But it was veiled Right, even in the Old Testament, God was veiled. In the New Testament, Jesus' power was veiled. Jairus saw Jesus. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord. Verse 4, his brightness was the, like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Jairus saw Jesus, right? <laughs> Obviously, and though Jesus' full power was veiled, Jairus still knew who he was. A father-in-law tells a great story that I've told y'all before of uh, when his, the captain in the military, I believe, was having a big promenade before all the big generals. And his, his commander in chief, I believe he was a, yeah, colonel. Uh, colonel, he was a Colonel himself. And he donned the cap of one of his, his, uh, his men and jumped in with the crowd, right? And so here's a colonel standing with his men and no one knew that he was a colonel, but they knew. <laughs> they knew he was still their colonel, even though he didn't look like one. We know who our colonel is, all right, amen? And, and so did Jairus. You know who Jesus is? Anyone in this room who knows who Jesus is will bow before him. And yeah, because the name of Jesus is great. We bow, we fall, we humble ourselves as a service. And if we don't now, we one day will. Y'all know the Philippians 2 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. You want the heart of a lion? Get low. <laughs> Get some calluses on those knees. Decrease yourself. Luke 14, 11 says, For everyone who exalts himself will be made humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's a promise of God. Fall at his feet. Secondly, bring him to your family. We kicked off this series, this Heading of the House series, uh, with parents bringing their kids to Jesus, right? But now we see parents bringing Jesus to their kids, Right? You know what the litmus test for the 12 disciples was? Following, right? Into the fire or into the feast, we are to follow uh, our all-seeing God. Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, but Jairus invited Jesus to his. So the God who calls us to follow was actually doing the following in this story. Why is that? I believe it's because Jairus acknowledged Jesus as his only hope. Church, are y'all paying attention? This is how you invite God into your home. Is Jesus the only hope of your home? Or do you have other options? You got some other options? Maybe your brilliant parenting skills. Maybe your bank account or that Christian school you sent your kids to. Is that gonna fix it? Is that gonna make them trust Christ? I mean, he can help. Jesus needs to be the center and the only hope of your home. Do you invite Jesus to heal your home? Have you asked for his help? I mean, literally asked. I don't mean some ambiguous thought process. I mean, God, help me be a good parent. Come into this home and help me. I can't do this. Single parents, divorced, remarried parents, right? Even the perfect little families, you're not kidding. You're not fooling me, <laughs> right? I was just talking, Hunter, can I, where you at, Hunter? Could I share? <laughs> I know y'all think his daughter's perfect, uh, but man, he, he had a little holy terror this morning when he said, I don't think she's ever been this bad, <laughs> getting there in the car. You know, she, he said, she was so stiff, I couldn't even get my hands in there to buckle her belt. I mean, she's just, ah! right? I wonder, how did she learn that? And, you know? <laughs> It's because she has this, that sin. Church, there's no better place, listen, there's no safer place, no happier place than walking side by side with Jesus. Matter of fact, when we prayed for the message, the last prayer that Hunter prayed this morning when we were praying in my office was, Lord, help, help me be a good parent. Hey, this story illustrates that Jesus wants to be in the center of our need. That's where, that's what's, that's the invite. The invite is like, all right, it's all prepared and tidy. I got friends coming over this afternoon for lunch, you know, (laughs) time to vacuum the house and clean it up, make it look like it's like this all the time, right? No, Jesus comes to the need. That's the invitation. The problem is we don't always think we have the need. Mark 5.23 says, Jairus implored Jesus earnestly and he went with him. That means Jesus went with Jairus, not the other way around. Now, Jairus didn't, still didn't know the method or the outcome, but he knew the master, and that was enough. Church, bowing to the Lion of Judah to become a lion-hearted believer and parent means we follow his will, and he follows our need. You worry about pursuing his will, and he'll worry about following your need. Just make sure you tell him you, that you need him. We have to brave the distractions with steely resolve. We have to bow to the line of Judah to have the heart of one. And third, we have to believe God's will is perfect. Mark 5:35 when he was still speaking there came from the ruler's house some who said your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue these wonderful words, "Do not fear, only believe." C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Is your faith in Christ the camera filter of your family photo, right? Do you see your problems, your progress, the protection and provision of your family through the lens of faith? What we believe about Jesus determines what we believe about everything else. (laughs) It sets the way we view God's paintings, whether they're uh, junk or tragedy or whether they're a masterpiece. The clearer our faith in God and his promises and his word, the clearer we see God's will for our families. But there's two things to remember in this Christian worldview. First, belief doesn't negate lamentation. Right? There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentation. <laughs> Romans twelve fifteen says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. NIV says mourn with those who mourn. 1 Thessalonians four thirteen says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. KJV says that you sorrow not. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 4, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. We grieve, but not like others. We fight for the lives of our loved ones, but when God doesn't give the earthly answers and healing we want, we still have comfort. Church, listen. We cannot dodge suffering. We're actually called to it. Philippians 1, verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for his sake. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And church, please understand what I'm about to say. Our kids must suffer to some extent to become mature adults. Y'all know this. Any of you that are mature in your faith, <laughs> or really mature period, had, you went through something. You've had a car accident. You've had a bad relationship. You've had something. You've got an F on a test or something. Something bad's happening. You don't have, there is no maturity. You show me a mature person in their faith, I know they've been through suffering. I don't have to guess. I just, I'm curious what it is. Lament. We all Lament. We lament over our sins, our losses, our failures. We lament over the brokenness of this world. But we will, and we have, (laughs) and God still does, make our faith stronger and our ministry broader as we walk through those times, which leads to the second statement about belief. Belief instigates exclamation, right? Not explanation. God doesn't always explain why we're walking through what we're walking through. Sometimes it's discipline. Sometimes it's a fallen world. Sometimes it's to grow us and mature us. I'm talking about exclamation. How many of you would confess that you put extra exclamation points at the end of your text messages to emphasize something? You're like 30 of them. You're that person. There's some honest people in here. Hey, listen, please keep doing that. Just don't ever use all caps, all right? That's so much better than all caps. I feel when someone uses all caps that, like, I can smell their breath in my text message. (laughs) A little too close, right? Back it, stow it, back it down, back it down. It's not that, just calm down, all right? Belief doesn't negate lamentation, it instigates exclamation. It exclaims the power and comfort and joy of Christ to all who see it and hear it. Our faith in Jesus is put on a grand, put inside of a grand display case when we suffer. (laughs) You don't believe me? Then you tell me why we're talking about Jairus, the synagogue ruler, 2,000 years later. Hey, guess what? His daughter eventually died. She was healed there, but she still died eventually. Jesus didn't return in her lifetime. Parents, let me just ask you this. How do you suffer? What do you look like when you suffer? Is a broken iPhone a cause for you to suffer? What about a flat tire or a job loss or an unloving spouse? If you hear anything else today, I want you to hear this suffering is the pedestal of praise yesterday we were helping with this event this uh kind of fun day at the risen savior ministries church plant in fraser and a kid was at the top of the water slide and he had a seizure just was seizing at the top and ed reed pastor over at first carrieville good brother of mine served on the mission field at similar times Uh, he rushed up there and, and slid the, the kid down, called the, the ambulance. And at one point, Pastor Doug was, uh, pulled us aside and was like, hey, should, should we shut this down? And I was like, no. No, we should minister to the family and minister to the other people that are here. And that's what we did. Matter of fact, there was another seizure later in the day, a woman uh, that had had a recurring, recurring seizure, but she was okay. It took her home as well. Pedestals of Praise. We don't seek it, we pray against it, right? (laughs) But when it comes, we have the greatest opportunity to point people to Christ with authenticity. Hmm. Jesus did this when he waited. Remember when Lazarus died, he waited. He was dead for three days. He did this with Jairus' daughter. (laughs) He let Jonah run from him. Why didn't he just shut that down before he why didn't he let him trip and break his leg before he even got on the boat you know no he he let it happen because there was an exclamation coming (laughs) Sarah Hines and Lynn Mitchell are Lynn's my secretary and Sarah's in our church and others of you have done this they've had cancer and their faith in Christ through the midst of it has been unbelievable to me I hate to say it, but it's kind of shocking just how faithful they are, they've been. Sook's stage, Sue, as uh, those who know her well call her, her husband, Lynn, she's South Korean and her husband, they're members here. And sometimes she worships at the Korean church and sometimes she worships here now that her husband's passed, but he passed suddenly. Sue was here at the meal on Wednesday night supper at 5.30 this past Wednesday. She had two of her family members with her. Those family members came to comfort Sue. But what does Sue do every morning? She gets up and reads scriptures to them because they're Buddhist and don't believe in Jesus. And she's trying to share Christ. They came to comfort her for her loss, but she's here to comfort them because they are lost. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's all to exclaim Jesus. I know many of you were at uh, former members' uh funeral uh Gary Goodwin and Gary used to be members here uh and his life and and his death were an exclamation to Christ the whole funeral was was both uh comforting but also God glorifying I mean just accolade after accolade about how he walked with God and his heart was humble why by the way Jesus did this with himself he stayed in the tomb three days All was lost. All hope was lost. But then came the exclamation. (laughs) How many songs have been written about that exclamation? Why? Suffering will sanctify and mobilize the children of God. I'm going to illustrate this with God's Word. Romans 5, verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who's been given to us. Jairus wasn't happy his daughter was dying, but belief in the Savior gave him hope in the midst of his suffering. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's the mobilization. When you're suffering, you're being prepared to mobilize. God's getting ready to use you to comfort someone else. That's what God's Word said. Church, we only see a portion of what God has out in front of us, right? I mentioned this already, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, you know, like it's got fog on it. But then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall, be, I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Mark 5, verse 40, listen to this. I'm in with this. It says, they laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus, but what does he do? He put them, the laughers, the unbelievers, the unexpectant, out, all outside and took their child's father and the mother. That means they were expecting a miracle. And those who were with him, and he went in where the child was. Their laughing represented their unbelief and excluded them from seeing the miracle of Jesus. Moms and dads, don't miss the miracle. John 9 verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This verse gives me chills when I apply it to the lost children of this generation. It might just be that the works of God are about to be displayed. Are you waiting for that? Waiting for the works of God to be displayed? Brave the distractions with steely resolve. Bow to the lion of Judah in order to have the heart of one and believe God's will is perfect. Fear not. Do not fear, parents, only believe. Would you stand? Father God, we thank you for making yourself known to us. We thank you that we, though sinful, can invite you to our home. (laughs) We can invite you to our hearts. And Lord, I pray right now, if there's anyone here that has not invited you, that they would see this story (laughs) and say, wow, I I can. There's still hope for me. I pray you'd call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And I pray for those that may be um, frequent attenders or uh, they're looking for a church home, a place to plug in and serve the Lord. They want to to not sit around and do nothing. They want to do something as the end draws near. They want to be serving the Lord when you return. I pray you would lead them to come and be part of, of this church family at Piperton. Father, we may just need to sit in our pews today and confess our sin that we have not been expecting. We've not been expectant parents. We've let this world and the negativity of it drive our faith the same direction. And we need to to bow so that we can stand to face this world and to face our God one day before the throne of heaven. Lord, be with us now. Help our hearts to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.